Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome, young adventurers. And on today's show, I have Dr. Fred Moss. He is the founder of the Welcome to Humanity movement and the True Voice podcasting mastermind and methodology. Dr. Fred now finds himself making the difference he's come here to make. His years in the community where he has been a physician for over 40,000 patients and his storied adventures life traveling around the world has now left him uniquely qualified to remind all of us from what we already know. Communication is where love arises from, and speaking truth and listening authentically are the sources that love arises from. So without any delay, I'd like to welcome Dr. Fred Moss. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, it's not only where love arises from, it's where love and all healing arise from, Dylan. I mean, every piece of healing of all conditions, of all types, and you know, throughout the whole world uh, have a prerequisite, and that is human connection at the source of all healing, as well as at the source of all love, of course. Mm. Why do you think that is? What I mean, what do you think the, the, the how does the human connection heal? What, what's that all about? Well, there's nothing else that really does heal. I don't know about why it is. I just know mm. that you can't heal without actually getting yourself together with another human being. I mean, it's the, the we are social beings. We are not isolated beings. And the idea of connecting with another person, you might notice it as a, as a psychiatrist that I have been for uh, well over 30 years and in the mental health field for well over 40 years and really, frankly, on the earth for, well, for just over 64 years. I think I've learned that all, all uh, communication, you know, that just resonating with someone, being with someone when they're speaking their truth, actually hearing them for who they are, has massive healing qualities at the very front edge. You know, there are people, there are doctors I know who, um, you know, cure earaches and knee pain simply by listening to their patients. Uh, you know, the idea is that most imbalances are really about some sort of blockage or some sort of inability to self-express or to authentically listen to another person or people. Mm. And I just think that uh, it's very clear that human connection, without human connection, healing doesn't take place. And with human connection, the possibility of healing uh, immediately emerges. Yeah. And, you know, I'm someone who's very, like one of my, I mean, two biggest values are growth and connection, those two okay. things to, together. Um, what I want to talk about on this is you're talking not necessarily about a placebo, not something that's going to like no. make people feel like it. it is actual a healing event. There's yeah. actually something that happens on a fundamental level that, mm -hmm. that causes that to happen. And, and is that just, is it because we're social creatures? Is that the, the elements behind that or? Mm. I, again, this idea of why is that the case is a hard one to answer because I think it's ubiquitous. I think it's yeah. in all situations. It is simply a prerequisite. You probably can't tell me about a time when you healed without connecting to another person mm -hmm. and, and, you know, or connecting to yourself, connecting to who you are as a human or human being. It is in the isolation or the disconnection that most dis-ease actually arises. So when dis-ease arises in the disconnection, it only goes to, uh, you know, it only goes likely that connection will be a good anecdote to the disconnection caused mm -hmm. disease. Is there uh, what made you become aware of this, that this was the root cause of all of this? Was there something that happened or an event that triggered this? OK, so I, I think I've really been aware of it since I popped out 64 years ago. I mean, my full time job on the, that particular day was to 
bring peace and communication to a family that was already in a, a great deal of chaos and disarray. Mm. And so inside the world of communication, I got to watch my two brothers and my parents sort of, you know, make noises with each other and then get mad at each other or get happy with each other. Or, you know, I'm just so enchanted from my playpen watching people uh, speak to each other and communicate to each other that I could tell that it was an extraordinary, if not the most extraordinarily powerful thing that humans did together. And I wanted to become an expert of this particular interactivity. This was well before I went to kindergarten. And, you know, by the time I went to kindergarten, I was already quite articulate. I was already quite um, precocious. And there's no, I, I, you know, there's no elementary school teacher that I had that doesn't remember having me as a student. I'm quite sure of that. And, you know, that was true all the way through elementary school. And frankly, that was also true into junior high and high school. Maybe the high school teachers didn't know that I was, uh, maybe they forgot me because I just didn't go to class a lot of times. So they didn't even know I was there, you know, so, but, but, you know, I, I, I loved talking and, uh, and actually loved listening, loved joking, loved making fun uh, of the world and uh, making fun out of the world. Um, you know, in, in my days, there was, there were difficult times, you know, Kennedy getting killed and the Beatles coming to the world and, uh, you know, the 60s and the Vietnam War. And, you know, my brothers were just old enough than me. They were 10 and 14 year olds older than me. So they uh, kept me on the front edge. So I was, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll at a, as a little kid. And I was in a I was at the moratorium, you know, I was at the, um, you know, the moratorium, the million man moratorium for the war. Mm -hmm. I was there in Washington, D.C. at the age of 11. And, you know, it's just like the idea was that, the idea remains that community, I just saw so much value and I've always been so amused, so entertained, um, uh, really entranced by communication. So I, each time I graduated school, like into junior high or into high school, or into college, I just kept thinking that the next level is where I'm going to learn how to communicate because down here, people aren't communicating very well. And then I, you know, graduated at junior high and it was actually worse than elementary school. Like these were, these were, these people were more immature than my sixth grade friends. And then it was like, I got into high school and they were more immature than my junior high friends. So it was going backwards. You know, I thought, well, that's not, this is not, I know when I finally get to college, I'm going to go to the university of Michigan. I like their helmets and stuff. And so I, I I'm going to go to the university of Michigan and learn how to communicate. Mm-hmm. And when I got there, I started really disliking the whole idea of conventional education, this whole idea of sitting still in a chair and absorbing things so that I could regurgitate exactly what a teacher said and call that effective communication just did not sit with me. This was not the sharing of ideas that I had that humans must do in order to survive. Mm -hmm. So I left college and mm -hmm. uh, went around the country a little bit looking for myself, I guess is what they would say. Uh, didn't work out entirely, decided that, okay, I can go back and try one more time. Maybe I'll get a job or something. And went back for computers and lasted a term or two and left again. And I'm a college dropout. I'm a bona fide. I, I came home and told my mom that there would be no circumstances that I would go back to school ever again. <laughs> so she's like, well, that's cool. You know, that's, that's good, Fred. Mm -hmm. uh, now you got to get a job. And I'm like, well, okay, let's do it. So she got me a job as a child care worker. Uh, mm -hmm. in a state mental health facility. And I thought I would stay around long enough for orientation. I did three mm -hmm. weeks, you know, paying me 13 bucks an hour. It's like 13 times 40 times three should be enough to get a Volkswagen drive around the country some more, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
that's what I thought. But on the fourth week, my friend convinced me to go up to the floors and I went up there and I began to communicate as part of my job. So there I was with kids who I didn't see as defective at all. I didn't, not at all. They were just, they were just kids who lived there. I mean, they had hard lives, no question, but they weren't sick. They were just living life the way that they live, you know? And, um, the one thing I hated about that job was how, about how, was how the psychiatrists were treating the kids. Because mm. all we did, we would call them and say, Johnny's up too late or Billy got in a fight with Timmy. And, and then we'd call them and they'd talk to the kid for like two seconds and then they'd write an order. And then we'd have to hold the kid down and jam him full of some drug with an injection. Yeah. And if the kid stayed quiet for 12 or 24 hours, we called that a success. I'm like, what the hell is that? That is just crazy shit. And I cannot, I cannot tolerate it. Yeah. That was enough to get me to decide that I needed to go back to school and be a psychiatrist who actually delivered communication as the effective means of healing. So I guess you could say, I've never really said this quite like this here, but that's the moment when I really, really became committed to communication being the source of all healing. And I'm going to fight to make sure that psychiatry, that's apparent top rung of the ladder yeah. uh, is, is injected, not with medicine, but with the idea that communication is at the source of all healing. And that's what got me going back to school, finishing my undergrad degree, get going to a pretty cool medical school in downtown Chicago, um, where I really did learn how to be a, a doctor by being in the streets of Chicago and, um, and love Chicago. And, you know, since then it's really been communication for me, but there's another crimp in the armor, which is while I was in medical school, Prozac was invented. And when Prozac was invented, that changed the world just as much as any of the other stuff that's happening now was changing the world. I mean, Prozac was on the cover of Newsweek and Time on the same week as the, you know, the people were talking about putting it into the water system of Los Angeles. I mean, it was like a, it was like a drug that was going to take away all negative experiences. And it isn't what it did, but it, what mm. it did do is it gave negative experiences a bad rap. So if you were depressed or you were anxious or you were nervous or you were afraid or you were, uh, you know, confused or if you were aimless or if you were uh, thinking too fast or thinking too slow, if you were doing any of those things, you had you the Prozac age is what taught us that if you're uncomfortable, there's something wrong with you. Mm. Yeah, well, it's, it's the not, it's the repressing, not the processing of the negative feelings that people want to avoid. And so, and I'd love to like dive into that. Like, what are some of the mistakes, missteps or missteps that people make when trying to communicate? I mean, cause this is, I would love to learn about that from your perspective. If you see, if you're about this, I'd love to find out what are the gaps. Yeah, I think the gaps are is that we're, we're we live a duplicitous life and may have started back in the, when we were four or five or below. When we start, you know, we weren't born duplicitous. We weren't born manipulative. But when we began to do things that were incongruent with who we really were and getting some positive outcomes as a result of that, whether that getting an A in a, in a class or getting your sister in trouble instead of you getting in trouble, when you, when you start to cry and you get a lollipop, you know, when those things start to happen, we start to learn how to live a duality. We start to learn how to live a life that is different from who we really know ourselves to be. So I think the error in communication is that we get so caught up in what it is that number one, we get so caught up in what it is we have to say that we don't listen to anyone else at all. We're just, when someone else is talking, we're just basically standing in line to wait until we have something to say again. You can, you can be that way. That definitely it, is that uh, typical behavior is that for sure. Yeah. Then, yeah. 
and so I think listening authentically is at least one error that people, uh, you know, the people, people could use a whole lot of, um, let's say, uh, experience or practice or re remedial work in some cases to listen mm -hmm. authentically. And I think the, the other place that people really, really fall out is that we pretend to be people that we're not. We actually think it's safer to be somebody who's different than we are in order to protect the person that we are, which is really when you think about it, it's about the most absurd thing that you can think of that we would actually choose to pretend to be someone that we're not in order to protect people, protect ourselves from, um, uh, in order to protect ourselves from being seen for who we really are. It's like, yeah, that, that's not going to work really well. And when you're communicating from that space, there is a massive miscommunication coming from that person that you're actually asking yourself, okay, what would a person who I wanted myself to be say right here, which mm -hmm. is, so different than what I have to say right here and just shipping what it is that I have to say authentically. So a lack of authenticity um, as it's embedded in duplicity is at least one space in the speaking side of communication for which there's missteps. And on the other side of communication, the listening side, I would say that we don't spend very much time being very curious about what other people have to say, what they really have to say, especially if they say something that flies against what we think we know to be true. Uh, so when people say something that's either adversarial or different, or we think it's false or undereducated or uninformed, we just disregard the whole person. Like if they could say that, we don't need to listen to anything else they have to say about anything. And it's a mm. uh, communication is already a nearly impossible art. And even if it was done right, I mean, after all, you got to do all this shit and then spit it out of your vocal cords and make sounds that you hope get over there sounding a little bit like what you think you said and have that be processed and understood sort of close to what it is you thought you were saying and you have to do that spontaneously choosing the right words in real time dude that's before <laughs> any words have even been uttered and yeah. then we build freaking skyscrapers on shit like that it's like wow so there's a lot of places to make mistakes fantastic so i want to i want to break down a couple of these different pieces that you've got going on here i, I totally agree and you, you hit some very big things that i want to unpack just some some of it sure. one is the, is, the, is the thing that we are not one thing. People think that we're an individual self, yeah. but we're also a piece of the cosmos. But usually the truths of truths are usually both opposites being held at the same time. So we really, really want to be accepted by the tribe. And we really, really want to speak our voice. And then what happens with that is you get in a conflict where am I going to speak my truth and get kicked out of the tribe and then go into the forest and die because that's our pre-programmed nature? Or do I quiet my voice and then just absorb into the tribe and just go with it? But then I know there's a little piece of me that dies and I kind of become disengaged from reality. And that's mm -hmm. a very difficult, it's a very difficult thing to unpack. So when people are in that conflict, when people come across and they have their authentic voice and they're afraid that they're going to get kicked out of the tribe, whether it's their significant other or their boss or basically any situation where you have a group of people that have power over you or an individual, they have that thing. Do I speak my voice? Right. Or do I risk getting kicked out of this tribe? Insert mm -hmm. whatever tribe you want. So yeah. what would you say to those people specifically when they come across that crossroad? Because that is the protection mechanism of what they're trying to do. Sure. Well, first of all, protecting yourself with someone that you're not is an ineffective means of protection. There is no shield there. Okay. There's no shield. The price of that, there is no win. Mm -hmm. I suppose you get to stay in a tribe, but it's a tribe that doesn't even know you. Yeah. So, you know, you don't, you're not really in that tribe. This, this imposter that you're attending to be is who's in the tribe. Maybe, 
So I don't think, you know, it's an old style that doesn't get doesn't get reviewed and revisited and revised over time to do that. I think we designed it when we were like getting our sister in trouble for the stuff that we did or whatever. And it just mm -hmm. never got really changed in the years since then. Now, what would I really say? Look, it isn't a place to say, um, you know, to spit out your political view views when you're when you clearly are going to be ostracized, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's not a space. When I say speak your true voice, it doesn't mean like don't take into consideration the listening that's around you. It means absolutely take into consideration the listening that's around you and only speak if you're going to move your agenda or what you have to say forward. There's, you know, but you don't have to lie to yourself and you definitely don't have to lie to anyone. There are many ways to sidestep that, including sort of surrendering to the confusion that you're having at any given moment about how to proceed in any particular interaction. So almost everyone can live with that one. If you go like, oh, my God, I am just lost. I have no idea what to say right here. Or you just stay quiet or you, you know, and, and you're and you can do so in a way that isn't that is has a minimal chance of being provocative or insulting or, uh, you know, um, agitating. Mm -hmm. Then there's a way to do that and still have your true voice, you know. So it is people sometimes uh, equate having a true voice as to spitting your truth anytime you want to like like. Who gives a shit about anyone else? I'm about to say whatever I'm about to say because it's what I know to be true. That's called my true voice. That's not what I'm speaking of when true voice. True voice takes into consideration the environment and the listening and the context of the world that you're in at any time that you're speaking it or expressing it through art, music, dancing, whatever. And 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 loads that in as well into the complex nature of what you're, you know, look, let's say you're a, let's say you're a saxophone player and you you decide you want to play, you know, Coltrane like right now. Except mm -hmm. you're in a symphony and they're playing Beethoven. You can't just spit out Coltrane and say, "Dude, I'm just a good saxophone player." There's a space for Beethoven when Beethoven's being called for. Yeah, and 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 that's what I'm talking about. Well, that's a higher level of communication where if someone just says, if someone masquerades, I'm being truth with just being negative, or yeah, someone exactly. just. It, and that's a that's a really good subtle nuance point. It's like someone's gonna go piss in the Kool Aid just because they're upset at the world. It's not necessarily them speaking their truth. It's it's just them trying to vent their communication and and their emotions in a way that's not really healthy or cathartic or you know really adds value to the actual situation that's exactly. going on around them. So that is right. There's a nuance of that communication where you feel something, but then you're like, how do I how do I respond, not react to the situation? And how do I then put myself, how do I then position that in a way that actually I can, I can create space for the listener to hear me? Because if mm -hmm. I just say, you're wrong, Fred, and here, let me tell you all the reasons why you're wrong. That's not going to really, that's not, not really going to move, move anything. That, that's going to move along. So what, what advice would you give along, a, a, you know, speaking to that true voice and creating space for the other person to hear you, even when it might be a difficult topic? Well, you know, there's enough difficult topics in the world and a lot of us have already lost, you know, friends or family who uh, think differently about particular issues in the world. A new a new phenomenon, frankly, to actually have issues be seen as so large that they fracture relationships that have been around for decades or year or generations that are now gone. 
Um, and, and, and the idea here is that we, we go back to the power of listening. We go back to what is this person really, really trying to express or say? Can, do I have the capacity to at least listen to somebody who's saying shit that I think is completely dead wrong or even dangerous? Mm-hmm. Do I have the capacity to actually listen to that mm-hmm. at some level? And if so, and if I think it's dangerous even, or I think it's wrong, what value is there in, in whatever my interaction is next to move the needle forward? So if my intention is to teach this person or to help this person see another way of seeing it, it isn't going to be by me raising my finger at them, kicking them in the butt and telling them that they're bullshit or that they're full of shit. Not at all. What's here is an opportunity to really use our greatest creativity and our radical, authentic listening on the one end, like, you know, really getting that if you were that person, you would think exactly as they do. Mm-hmm. Their life experiences had led them to believe everything that they believe. And you are, frankly, no more right than them, more than likely, even though, especially in the areas that the stuff that we really, really, really know that we know that we know, mm-hmm. that's the stuff that's even most dangerous. The stuff like, come on, everybody knows this, you know, or everybody of any brains or anybody who's ever been anywhere certainly knows that that's true. That stuff is as dangerous as anything because us humans use so many things as baseline truths, as if they're unwavering baseline truths and then build truths on the tree trunks of those. And they're just as likely to be bullshit as anything else that you think. And so the possibility exists that you could de- de- um, like disconnect from your own truth a little bit, mm-hmm. from what you think is true content by content, and listen to the other person with amusement even with embracement, with acceptance, with compassion, with forgiveness. Imagine that. Imagine that for someone you actually otherwise are free to hate. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Looking at that from the perspective of saying uh, you got to disconnect from your own truths or things that we say we we question everything except for things we hold to be absolutely true. Then we never question those things. That's right. and so we hold on to those things dearly. But that the I love the imagine that. Why don't you try this on? Why don't you try these beliefs on? And getting the ability to let go of those stories that because really these are just a bunch of stories that 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 we hold on to. And if you don't believe that story, then you're crazy. And then that causes the conflict because uh, you know I could, the, those those judgments that are laced into the 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 communication is what creates that conflict, which I think is very interesting. How do you? When you're in a situation, because right now you have a lot of capacity right now to in, in the ability to have um, disagreement on, on a topic, right? Is there situations, what advice, what would you give a recommendation to people on how they could basically gain some more capacity in those situations where maybe they, they do have that conflict and they feel like there's no space? Mm-hmm. Well, it, you know, it's tough. I think one space to be in is, is to be kind to yourself, is to really explore, like be kind to yourself, like, get, you know, get your own head out of the way. So that might be through meditation or through nutrition or through uh, nature or through your partner or, uh, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, drinking water or doing uh, exercise or, or, you know, some form of yoga or calisthenics or all the many mindful processes that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um And I think that from there, you know, you really have then uh, like 
ask the question again. Let me make sure that I'm hitting the, on the point. I, I want to say, yeah. The, the, the point is, is it's really well and good to say, speak with empathy and compassion when you have a lot of space going on with you. But mm -hmm. sometimes when people are in conflict, all of that goes out and they're, they're, they're emotionally, uh, they're reacting in the situation. So yeah. what advice would you give to people that could either armor them up for the situation to prep into it, or while they're in the throes of a, an argument or something going on, they're actually able to gain more capacity so they could speak mm -hmm. with more curiosity and detach themselves from the truths that they hold on to. That's a great, 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 well articulated question. Thank you. I think that the next space is, this idea, you mentioned the word reaction versus responsivity. You mentioned that mm -hmm. in a previous sentence. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, what you really have is when you're in that reactive mode, you really are acting reflexively. You're really screaming at someone or you're really telling them the F off or you're really telling them they're wrong or you really know that the whole relationship is on the line and you don't even give a shit anymore because you don't need this person. You know, you're, all the stuff you're hurting them and you're being hurt by them and it's just going and going and going. There is a point at some point this, that, that it comes to, you come to a, maybe a, a, a turn in the road, a come to Jesus where you can go, wait, you know what? This isn't working to do this. I could maybe back off. Like I could get that there's a difference here. This whole notion perhaps of agreeing to disagree. I could get that there's something that I could do here that, you know, do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? That's one of the questions that gets asked. So do, you know, is there a possibility of me either finding a, you know, go to my corner, get, gather myself. So I'm not just a complete asshole. Like, can I, can I go to a place where I can stop myself from saying something that's going to cause massive damage? Mm. That's one way. Or can I even forgive myself or apologize for having just been a complete jerk? Like that's another way to do it. When we are able to see, an, amongst other things, like when we get the world is impermanent, when we get that there is only, that this is a short-lived life, when we get that there's like, you're going to be okay and you're going to die and both those things are going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and that even on the day you die, it's going to be okay. Like when you can get all of that, that we're here for a little chunk of, of this thing we call time and, mm -hmm. you know, that we're only here and- and maybe it isn't worth hurting another in most any case, like except I suppose in self-defense or in defense of, you know, the, I, I yeah. get that there are outlying, there are outlying conditions where we're hurting someone else it becomes uh, justifiable for sure. Um, then I think the possibility becomes that we can become armored with responsiveness more than reactivity. You could say that, I have more capacity these days, but it's not, it's not really true. I mean, if I'm with myself and, and, and I see someone do something that I think is totally stupid, I just feel like the same first grader I was back then when I, when I wanted to throw a block at the kid's head, you know? Yeah. yeah. It, it can stack up over time. If you look at it, like if, if, I know for myself, if I don't work out several days in, work, in a row and I drink nothing but Starbucks coffee and I don't meditate at all, my capacity to handle a situation that maybe a person's been bugging me for a thing or whatever it might be. And, and there, there I have less capacity versus if I've meditated and I just got back from a plant ceremony and I've done all the things that I'm supposed to be doing. And then I come in, I, I have like nothing. I it is Teflon just slides right off of me. Right. And so exactly. that, that, that's what I'm saying. Like in terms of like, how do you make that space? And it's, it's preemptive. It's great coming into it. But then in that moment, 
that one moment where you where you because you lose yourself. I lose myself in situations mm -hmm. where that happens. I go, why did I do that? I was like, mm -hmm. oh, that's that didn't help anybody. Now I got to go repair this relationship. Yeah. And we got to put in time, and now it's going to take more yeah. energy. And so that's why I was the really fascinated with the concept of in the moment. And that one thing that you just said there, I just want to touch on it when you talked about you will die and you'll be okay. And once you when you grasp that concept, then 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 the uh, the fact that someone didn't put super sauce on your taco at the drive-through, not so bad, not so bad. So That's I love right. that, that perspective shift. It's that you're really having. interesting. It's really yeah. interesting that it all boils down to that because otherwise <laughs> you can live in this world of scarcity. It's like, dude, I only come to this taco place once in my life and you didn't put the super sauce on my taco. I, wh what are you brain dead? You know, you can go, you can go hog wild, but if you knew that it's all just a game and you're being served up every single piece of reality, including the pain, the atrocities, the heinous uh, behaviors of others, the unspeakable behaviors of the world, including some things that you've probably done uh, mm -hmm. that are also unspeakable or secret. When you can get that every piece of this experience is part of the smorgasbord we call life and therefore yeah. uh, embraceable in its own right, uh, yeah. just by being part of the entire menu, then um, and so that so that all the pain and suffering, although I don't seek out necessarily pain and suffering, that all the pain and suffering is in many ways as valuable as the pleasure uh, and the miracles that we experience, yeah. that's, that's a whole nother life. And by the way, that's what I'm talking about. When the introduction of Prozac took place, that was the fracture that took place in society is that when you didn't feel good, there was something wrong with you. Yeah. Well, and that it, I often feel that even though I don't, I don't <laughs> seek it out all the time, the, the pain is more valuable in every business situation I've always been in the, the most horrendous, horrific situations that happen. I'm like, I'll remember you. I'll remember for next time, you know, and those things stuck and those things stick. And so we we're talking about, you know, we talk about difficult conversations with other people. Let's talk about difficult conversations or emotions with ourselves. Mm -hmm. You talked about the fact that, everyone's got a voice and it's okay. And everyone has these feelings of feels of shame and fear and doubt. And can you talk to me about like, I mean, from a, a logical sense, that makes sense. Uh, but can you talk to me like the, like practically, how do people handle the situations if they're overwhelming guilt, you know, they, some sort of mess up that they did some sort of, uh, uh, you know, at their house or wherever. And then now they're, 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 they've been hit with all of these overwhelming emotions. Can you talk to me? How do they, how do they get to the state of being okay with that? Yeah. Well, you have a couple of choices with that. You know, it's no longer here. Mm -hmm. So you uh, you spanked your kid and you know it. And they taught you back in the day that you don't do that. And then you just got wild with your kid and, and you bent them over your knee and you spanked them. And, you know, it could, it could be a lot worse than that. But we'll just use that one. Sure. And then you're like, wow, if my dad knew or wow, if God knew or wow, if my wife knew or something like that. And then guilt sets in or shame or blame, you know, for self resentment or regrets and all these negative vibration experiences. Now you're left with some, some real, some real challenges, which is you can keep living in that world that you're a bad person. If you want, it's, it's entirely, you could take that to grave with you. Like you, you screwed up and that makes you a bad person. You hate yourself and you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to meet yourself in the streets and that's it. And that's it. That's the way it ends. Mm -hmm. There is this other possibility, however, that comes with forgiveness. It comes with understanding. It comes with this whole idea of restoration, this idea of acknowledging the wrongdoing that you had and acknowledging that as a trait of being a human. And then um, 
you know, apologizing to the people that you might have hurt, whether that be yourself or others, and then cleaning up whatever it is that damage that you might have caused when you actually hurt another person or yourself, like actually cleaning up the milk that got spilled. And then finally declaring out loud that you have no intention whatsoever to do that ever again, that when you lay out all those four things, you know, you can get a possibility of resetting and maybe embrace your shadow self or your asshole self, because frankly, living in this three dimensional world and trying to do so in any kind of uh, perfect and sinless way is, is absurd. You're, You're going, you know, there's not, there's not a real space for you to be perfect or sinless. So you might as well, at least give yourself the opportunity to um, forgive, accept, and and have some compassion for yourself. Mm. Yeah, that was, that was great. The the four steps that you're talking about, because uh, you said you could you could just accept that's who you are and just live in that pain, or you can you know handle your shit and and go through this process of you know recognizing that it happened, uh, cleaning up the actual mess, cleaning up the emotional mess between the next person, between whatever happened between you and that other person, and then making a commitment to never doing that again. Exactly. And then moving along in that process. Exactly. Yeah. Otherwise you can, you deny, deflect, and then it stacks up and builds over time. And then. Yeah. And apparently there's some value in doing that. You know, when we knock ourselves out and put ourselves in, you know, so that we, all we want to do is put a pillow over our head and sleep all day or, never talk to somebody or, you know, smoke a bunch of weed or, uh, uh, you know, masturbate or whatever we choose to do to, to relieve ourselves for those instantaneous moments of pain. Mm-hmm. Those are not really pure um, ways of managing that level of pain. They're actually distractions and detractions. So there's, there is a way, you know, humans have developed time and, and ways to actually acknowledge and forgive yourself for even the most heinous crimes. I worked in uh, a couple of different prisons in my life, um, you know, at Pelican Bay and at Folsom here in, in California. And, you know, these people, especially the prisoners or the inmates, they say, uh, who have had the opportunity to forgive themselves for whatever it is they did on that very bad day um, are some of the most beautiful non-pretentious, amazing human beings, if not the most beautiful, non-pretentious, amazing human beings I've ever met. There's just a pureness, a clarity. You know, who's in prison starts being a real question. Which one of us is really in prison? Uh, This guy who lives behind bars or me trying to lie to myself about being someone that I'm not. Yeah, that's that's, that's true. Because, well, they've gone through some sort of penance. They've gone through a process that they can come out on the other side versus if you never do, you just you create a prison of your own design that you now live in and sleep in every single day. And whatever whatever you're surrounding yourself with, because you don't have, you know, the the quote that many people live lives of quiet desperation and they go to the grave of the song unsung is the kind of the the. The, the cornerstone of what we're talking about here. And, and then how do you, how do you get people if they have a song unsung inside of them to, to communicate that voice? And, yeah. and, you know, one is handling that the negative situations of the past and going through that four step process. And it seems like the other, other space you're talking about was this, was the, you know, f- tactfully speaking your voice and your truth in a way that you can feel heard and create space for others along the way. You know, what are, you know, so the other pieces was what was the empathetic was listening. Was that the other element? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listening authentically. And then um, uh, so actually listening authentically and then getting in touch with your own um, 
you know, decades worth of developed duplicity, you know. <laughs> How does someone do that? How does someone get in touch with decades of their of their duplicity? Yeah. I think again, you start, you start making, make it entertaining. There's so much shit that you're doing and saying that really isn't consistent with what you know to be your real truth. Mm -hmm. And you know what that is. You know what that is because you do have access to something called real truth. And you know, when you're bending the truth or saying or doing things and then pretending that you really are that guy who says and does that when you're not, you actually know that. So Again, I think mindfulness is a great way to find this where you can be in touch with a greater reality. You mentioned uh, plant medicine ceremonies. Sometimes mm -hmm. access to plant medicines uh, will give you a greater sense of eternity or divinity or infinity where you can finally learn that this bullshit you've been calling yourself isn't really who you've been. You don't have to keep doing that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it isn't I, I think there's no such thing as ultimately clearing up all the duplicity. I'm sure I'm being duplicitous right now at some level. I mean, I'm acting like I'm big and smart and wise and shit when really I'm a pizza guy from Detroit. You know, <laughs> we've all got that in us, man. We're just trying to figure out. But you're right. There's there's it's weird because we got these two extras. We 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 value being the heroes of our own story and going for the growth and doing the most we can. But we're also inherently lazy and we want to just, you know, sit around and not do anything. But, but, but that, that internal tug of war is, 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 is something that causes a lot of things. And, and sometimes it's, it's, it's just this unawareness is, and it's also that the models of being taught over time, right? You got it from your parents or whatever people you got it around you. And so mm -hmm. there is a bit of, I know you're saying that everybody's, there is this true truth, but sometimes there is this um, unawareness yeah, and or yeah. avoiding the the truth of the situation that that kind of um, that can eat at your soul over time. Yeah, 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 it can. I, I, I just, you know, we have the look. I read the last chapter of the book. We don't get out of this thing alive. That's what they say. <laughs> and uh, I shouldn't really. That's a teaser. What do they call it? Like a spoiler alert, yeah. a spoiler alert, yeah. you know, and we don't. And that's the only inevitable piece here. So it's a short lived life that we have. We're trying to live it in three dimensions when the world is really multidimensional. Mm -hmm. We're putting together things and trying to have achievements, accomplishments and things done in a mm -hmm. world where we don't even know why we do what we do most of the time. And, and we're putting together sensibilities and we're trying to make sense and use our own personal sensibilities to make like to make ends meet. And none of that is very bright, actually. None of that is none of that is going to lead to any kind of real resolution. I mean, maybe it'll get you the correct answer on a calculus test. I loved calculus because, of course, I was very stoned when I did it and whenever I did it. And I, I enjoyed being stoned and doing calculus. There was something really cool about going all the way around the block with these problems and still coming up with a proper answer. It was like, wow, look how cool that is. You know? <laughs> but <laughs> Lost in the mental woods on that one. You're like, I've made it back out and I'm yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly i mean there's something really fun about science giving you uh and the impression that there's actually proper answers to questions yeah but the truth is there really isn't you know mm -hmm. there really isn't this this world does not really offer ongoing large proper answers to most questions and and so floating along with the idea again look i hope it's very clear that i haven't had a pain-free life yeah Yeah, I, you know, I can dance and, and stuff, but in the end, there's a whole lot of pain that's been in my life. And then, you know, I, have I had as much pain as that guy? No. Have I had more pain than that guy? Yes. It doesn't matter. Uh, 
you you don't get here you don't get here without really getting burnt on the stove you know without really getting scorched without really having being heartbroken without really being devastated without really hurting others and trying to figure out a way through that without all the things that us humans do thinking something that is totally wrong that causes damage so What's real interesting is that over the last 5,000 or so years, there has been an, um, there has been enough acquired information that there's at least rudimentary ways of dealing with those instant and acute pains such that we can reset ourselves. Cause here I am 64 years in a week. And for the moment feeling pretty cosmically reset, like that's, that's astonishing, dude. I'm just telling you, I mean, all things told, I'm sitting here right now in this fucking crazy world feeling essentially cosmically reset. Yeah. What's what you're talking about, the difference, what I like about this is the difference between chronic and acute, uh-huh. right? The difference between yeah. chronic and acute and, you know, uh, fear and anxiety or let's just say uh, uh, any of these things. When you have chronic fear it, or it, it's not the same thing as acute. So, like, it's useful to have fear if a if a uh if i'm out in the wild and a bobcat yes. jumps at me yeah i yeah. need that fear i am off to the races it's yeah. this low level chronic uh fear and anxiety mm-hmm. that we just kind of like live with at this level that kind of eats away at things that you have to go off and do some sort of reset or do the mindfulness or nutrition body or something to be able to get rid of that because i feel like there's a lot of these these low level chronic things that kind of eat away at us that that eat away at me and you being able to actually connect the the fear and judgment of like the uh you uh, you were a pizza guy i was a bellman right like like there's like things of our past that we maybe not feel comfortable to talk about that we want people to judge us on so what do you think are some of those uh things that might have served us that were acute that are now chronic things that eat away at us well, you bring up a really good topic here, and that is the the chronicity, the sense of chronicity of underlying anxiety, underlying fear, underlying uh, depression, underlying, you know, chronic nature of decreased self-esteem or all these low vibrational things. And here's the thing. I'm not going to go so far as to say simply that it's choice, but I am going to go with this way. Once you've been told that you have chronic depression, chronic fear, chronic anxiety, chronic uh, self-esteem issues and, you know, con- chronic, whatever, chronic confusion, whatever. Uh, once you've been told and you agree that you have that, now you have an explanation for never rejuvenating, for never reclaiming, for never, uh, you know, ne- for ultimately relinquishing responsibility for that part of yourself because you believe you're the kind of person that has chronic anxiety. Now, here's another problem. Once you have that diagnosis, whether it's self-sustained or not, you know, if I tell you you're an elephant, you're like, dude, thank you so much. That explains everything. And you just buy out that you're an elephant. Uh-huh. Like, oh, yeah, that explains my nose, doesn't it? That's really I, I hadn't even thought about that. You know, I got this nose like, wow, like I'm an elephant. Thanks. I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell everyone I'm an elephant. I got a doctor who told me it is an elephant. Once you buy that out, the. There, there, you know, it takes some effort to go uphill and restore these four steps we just talked about. You need to be quite an adult to get that shit done. You need to be, you need to really be able to, to tip into yourself, to, to look at yourself in the mirror and say, wow, I did wrong. Mm-hmm. 
The other thing that I think goes uh, uh, often understated is that the medications or what we do, uh, what, what society offers in order to deal with chronic anxiety, chronic depression, chronic anything, tends to perpetuate the symptoms that it's marketed to treat. So, and in fact, at times cause those symptoms directly. So we got problems there for yeah. sure. We got problem. We got huge problems there. If an antidepressant causes depression, if an anti-anxiety agent causes anxiety, if an antipsychotic agent causes psychosis, which I actually believe in many cases, exactly that to be true. And what do I know? I've only had 40,000 patients, but in those 40,000 patients, that's what I would say emphatically is true. Um, but that's only 40,000, granted. Seriously, there's 7.8 billion people on the world and 40,000 doesn't even get to the 0.01%. And so I could be wrong. Yeah. But if I'm not wrong, mm -hmm. and those medications actually cause the symptoms that it's marketed to treat, that then like even Starbucks in some ways causes the symptoms that the crash that comes after you're been okay on Starbucks is, is there's only one way to deal with that crash. And that is to go find another Starbucks, you know, after you get your nap and drugs and food are often built to perpetuate or cause the symptoms are marketed to treat. So if you're taking a low level, you think, ah, I'd only take a little bit of Xanax every so often for anxiety. What you don't know is that Xanax is reliably causing anxiety at the same time that it's giving you a sense of relief for a short few moments. It is absolutely mm -hmm. causing chronic anxiety without question. And mm -hmm. you're going to be stuck taking Xanax thinking that you have a chronic anxiety problem that only Xanax can help. But you have actually have a chronic anxiety problem that only Xanax can help and only Xanax is causing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now there's a problem. There's a problem there for everyone except the Xanax manufacturer. Because if I could have designed a treatment that actually perpetuates the symptoms it's marketed to deal with and has people line up around the block every month to buy, it's possible that I would be able to create a billion dollar industry. Be you know, or maybe even the most profitable industry in the history of planet Earth. And in fact, the psychopharmacological and psychopharmacological industry is one of, if not the most profitable industry in the history of planet earth, the history of planet earth. Yeah. Well, that's the, I want a result, but humans are inherently lazy. Give me a pill. They, they, they want what you're talking about. You said this earlier, it's, it's their choice. And mm -hmm. I agree with you, but the choice also requires a commitment of effort. Well, let me ask you something. I hear you. And it's a little bit worse than that. So if all it was, was if a pill could really just relieve you of your pain, uh -huh. then I'm not sure I wouldn't prescribe them openly and honestly. Mm -hmm. But what if every Band-Aid that you bought had a razor blade embedded in it? <laughs> <laughs> and it looked like when you put that Band-Aid on that the cut you had was being covered until the blood started oozing out the sides. And then you realize that your cut got worse. So you need a bigger bandaid. Yeah. yeah. There comes a point where this is not a benign. Well, I'll just take a pill instead of work on my shit. If you take a pill, your shit's going to get way worse. And you're going to think it's your shit when really it's the pill that caused it to get worse. Well, yeah, it's, it's the, there's always, you know, there's the, two different modes that you can get there with almost anything. Let's look at, look at food, right? You can do the say keto style 
right? And you can have that, you know, non-sugar, or you can take a whole bunch of sugar and yeah. get up and going. It's quicker. It's more, if I want to get you to emotionally engage and pay attention, I could say something heartwarming and meaningful and take a slow time to build a connection over time, or I could just start yelling at you, right? Yeah. And those yeah. are two different energy sources, right? That the negative energy is always more powerful and it's always more destructive. Yeah. And it's always something that's more readily available. It's easier to take a sledgehammer to something than try to build up a brick building. So it's like, yeah, there's a reason why we go to it. And it's and it's and it's the unless you learn that lesson, unless you hit that rock bottom, unless you unless you realize that there's some sort of something's going to kick you so hard that you go, you know what? No, I'm not taking that shortcut again. I'm going right. the long way. I'm right. <laughs> so. right, right. No, that's and that's where wisdom sets in. And that's what I'm saying. You can only get there if you've really been through Unfortunately, and that's maybe what you're saying as far as the more painful uh, aspects of human interactions, you can only get to that space, uh, not through learning, but through, I mean, not through um, reading, but through experiencing pain and suffering. Yeah. Well, yeah. Is there, <clears throat> is there any way to shortcut that? Do I actually have to go and experience the pain and suffering in such tremendous forms to well, be able to then change my path? I don't know about you, but I have, I have a 31 year old, let's see, is he 31? He is. He'll be 31 this year. So I have a 30 year old son mm -hmm. and uh, he somehow bypassed a lot of this shit. And I, I mean, at least as far as he, he, he knows about it all. He speaks to it in real truth. He's the baddest ass I've ever met. Mm -hmm. And, and yet he didn't have to like absolutely make every mistake. So I think part of that came from when I started making mistakes left and right, I just told him to watch very closely as I make these mistakes. Cause he won't have to make them if he just lets me make them. And then just like incorporates them into his future, like a, like a good student. And I really believe that that's what he's done. And he says that's what he's done. Uh, so he is extremely successful and he is still dealing with the pain of, of what it takes to be human directly, but doing so without having, you know, without having flipped as much shit as I had to when I got through life. And I, you know what? I've had a blessed life. I've had a blessed and totally privileged life. Mm -hmm. So for me to talk about poor me isn't really fair. I have had a blessed and privileged, privileged life of great health and minimal atrocities compared to so many. And le let's make that honest and clear. I mean, compared to my son, maybe not, but compared to almost anyone else in the world, I have had a blessed and privileged life. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the fact that we're here and we can do this and we're inside houses sure. and all that stuff, yeah. very lucky. And at the same time, I'm, I'm very happy for your son could look at it and go, you know what? I see what he's doing and I'm never going to do that. And That's I'm, right. Exactly. I, yeah. I've, you know, I've seen that, you know, I, I think every kid, whether it's conscious or unconscious, they do model their parents, right? What they yeah. do and behaviors. And so if they can learn great, but it's either they're going to take what they do and they're going to double down on what their parents did, or they're going to look at their parents do and go, no, nah, you're a sucker. No. I'm yeah, going exactly. <laughs> that's what, that's what he did. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So let's talk about this humanity movement. And, and mm -hmm. I, I'd love to talk about, like, you said that you found your purpose. Can you, can you highlight kind of like, what is the, for you, what is, what is your purpose and what is the holy grail for your purpose? What is that big flag in the sand at the top of the mountain? Well, I guess it will come as no surprise after our discussion that what happened is in, in like 2006, I had a, a little bit of excess of trouble and I had to wiggle my way out of it by essentially spin, spin doctoring a, a major truth to the public about how things were going with respect to a, an accusation that proved to be entirely false, but I had to, I had to deliver it inside the medical board. And so uh, I began to take people off medicine in 2006 after that all cleared up. Uh, and I began to like really look at, well, how can I be helpful here? Because medicines really are causing so much problems and I'm, I'm, 
I went into psychiatry so I wouldn't have to do what those asshole psychiatrists were doing at the mental health facility. And there I was like one of the best in the world at doing exactly that. Now it's like, wow. Soul sacrifice every single day, every single day, multiple times per day, I'm writing prescriptions and I'm one of the best psychopharmacologists in the country all of a sudden. Wow. I know. It's like, it's very effed up. It's really, really, really is. And I don't even know that it's effed up because I'm a big old doctor. And what am I going to do? Like give back my license, like give back my profession, like go work at Starbucks. What the hell am I going to do? So I began to take people off medicine slowly but surely and found what I knew I would find, which is that people got reliably way better when they stopped believing that there was anything wrong with them and stopped taking their medicines. And this happened hundreds of times. So I began to sort of back out of psychiatry as a primary way uh, or a conventional psychiatry and began to really talk to people, even as I would medicate them, I would medicate them and go, you know, I, it's not a really good idea what I'm doing here, but if you keep pushing me, I'll give you medicine, but it shit doesn't work very well. And people get furious with me. <laughs> people get furious. They're like, dude, why, why, why are you a psychiatrist? I'm like, I'm a psychiatrist to tell you that what you're about to do makes you worse. I mean, it was really still soul sacrifice, massive. So we fast forward a little, you know, it's sort of like back to what you've talking about. It would be like, I could be a real, what if I was a raw vegan, a raw organic vegan, and I took a job at Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> they come I, I, in and they tell me, I, I want a three piece with a biscuit and potatoes. I'm like, you know, dude, you shouldn't even be eating chicken. Yeah, and let alone let alone fried chicken, let alone non-organic fried chicken, and you definitely shouldn't be eating fucking biscuits. And you're an idiot. It, it just doesn't work, you know. To be mm. even if I would be a great employee, I'd be fired that day for not being able to like not being able to stand up to the brand, even if yeah. I'm the healthiest person in the joint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that happened for a long time every day. Yeah. I had that experience, by the way. I do got to say it. I used to own a burger truck. And the day I started my burger truck, my co-founder turned to me. He goes, hey, I'm a vegan. I was like, wait, wait, wait. This can't work, man. You can't be a vegan and own a burger truck. I'm just sorry. It's just like, we got to like, this you can't. <laughs> I know, right? So you really understand. I know. I, I, <laughs> you you hit the nail on the head with that point. I was like, oh, it's so true. Yeah, please, it's so but, true. But please continue. Please continue. So welcome to humanity. Uh, you know, yeah. we'll skip forward about 10 years after yeah. doing a whole lot of world hopping and a whole lot of telepsychiatry, you know, working from Israel to rural Illinois or working from California to to urban, um, you know, urban Detroit, et cetera, uh, working in the prisons and jails. And I had a job in every single area of mental health that was available. By 2016, I really started getting, again, realigned with this notion that healing is caused by connection and that all the human experiences are exquisite in their own self. And maybe that was through studying or maybe that was, I'm not sure, you know, it was just sort of all that was left after the distillation of traveling around the world and seeing how people see people. Mm. So welcome to humanity became the brand name, you know, and it was like, Oh yeah, that's what this is. And it seems like it's now really developed into a very nicely seasoned brand name. It sort of implies everything it needs to imply, which is, yep. You know, pretty much it could be called yep. You know, it's like, yeah. 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 Welcome to humanity. WTH, bro. You know, it's like WTH, you know? And so welcome to humanity became uh, my, my calling card. It was actually a butted up against another one, which was called Global Madness. And Global Madness is a great name too. And, um, but Global Madness, a little bit more, a little bit more tricky and had to do with, mm -hmm. um, 
a little, it's a little bit more aggressive. Global madness. It's calling like everybody crazy. Uh, I, I didn't have so much that didn't, that, I, I chose not to keep that directly on the front edge and it became a subsidiary of welcome to humanity. Mm. Then I wrote a great article that got, uh, you know, that won the best article of the year in the conference for global transformation called global madness. And, it, you know, so then I got to be the global madness guy for a moment. And then, uh, then came being the undoctor, which was pretty cool. The undoctor where I undiagnose, unmedicate, and then undoctrinate people. And that was pretty fun, taking people off medicine and being a transformational restorative coach as opposed to a physician slash psychiatrist. And these days, you know, after podcasting for a while, I really became a really natural podcaster, right? I'm a pretty good guest and I'm a wake fun host. And I, you know, I know how to do this shit. I've had a few conversations in my life and that's what all I've been doing my whole life since like before kindergarten, you know, like seriously. And so podcasting was like, oh, wow, look at, look at this. I can play this game for sure. And so I played and I played hard and I became a host and then I became a guest at a lot of shows. And, and, and then it was like, um, you know, writing my book, you know, the, the book that I wrote, the most recent book that just came out a few weeks ago is find your true voice and then creating true voice podcasting, which is a true voice podcasting mastermind where we just celebrated the graduation of our first 23 students who in a beautiful summit that I put on, it was absolutely stunning. And we have another summit coming up in April for the second group, the second cohort that I was just with until moments before uh, coming on to you, by the way, that's exactly, I didn't come on to you today. I, I, I shouldn't a say little that. Bit, just in the beginning, but we won't talk about that. I mean, well, you'll yeah. edit that out for yeah. your, uh, <laughs> that's the beauty of podcasting. Again. <laughs> um, so yeah, before, before coming on your show here, yeah. I was there and then, um, I said that better this time, right? There's not the same yeah. innuendo this time. Yeah, yeah that's good. Was, right. It was better. Yeah. yeah. If you can let your editors know that I want yeah. to choose, an, I'm, I'm going to choose that. I'm going to highlight that clip. Yeah. yeah that'd be yeah, great. Yeah. That'd be thanks. great. All right. Thanks for taking care of me there. And, uh, but you're not really taking care of me. We don't need to go there either. Yeah. <laughs> just, let's just keep digging, everybody. We'll keep digging. <laughs> uh, out yeah. came, out came uh, Find Your True Voice. And Find Your yeah. True Voice is this idea of really bringing what's so for you right this very second is what I'm about. This idea of coming to grips with your confusion and all of your welcome to humanity components of what life is showing up for you as right this very second, representing your true and honest authenticity, that who you be, that is who you are right now. As I joked in today's course, uh, this was week nine of a 13 week course, um, was I could have written a book called find your true voice, open it up, say, there it is the end. Find your true voice. Here it is the end. It would have been okay because you're, that's what true voice is. It's not anything you need to aspire to get to. It's not anything you need to become. It is precisely exactly what you're being right this very moment. And speaking to that as kindly and as honestly and as compassionately and openly as you can, that is the authenticity that the world is looking for that is going to have the greatest possibility of being forgiven for being the human that you are. And doing so without spite, without regret, without resentment, without all those negative things we've already talked about in this uh, conversation, mm -hmm. the less that you have to react and bring in negative feelings, the more likelihood is that you get to take another step and another breath on this earth as, as, you know, as the gift that it is to be here. I don't always know that it's a gift, by the way, including many hours today. I was like, this shit sucks, man. Life sucks. I, you know, sometimes a life just flat out total sucks. And you're not going to ever convince me of otherwise. 
And then I get in a conversation like this one. I'm like, life doesn't suck that much. This is kind of cool. You know, <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. It's energizing. I know certain conversations with people, you can get energized and get really jazzed up and can be awesome. Other times it's just, you're moving through and it can take, it can take away the, yeah. uh, the looking at the Holy grail conversation question. Mm -hmm. So your Holy grail conversation is one to empower people to find their true voice. And then yeah. two to help people disconnect and undoctrinate themselves from the medication that's really sapping away their voice, their feelings and their authentic self of who they are. Yeah. This idea of undoctrinating people is I'm, I'm, I'm maybe stepped a few steps away from that. What I really am interested in, I, it isn't about undoctrinating. It's mostly about undiagnosing. It's all, mostly about stop believing that there's anything inherently wrong with you. Cause it isn't, we're all equally inherently full of crap and inherently wonderful. We're all mm -hmm. that. And you walking through your life the way you are is exactly how you are. And you're not necessarily, in fact, under no conditions, do you have an inherent mental illness? What you have is what you have. And that's what you are being and doing right now. And all those things are alterable over time with choice or with conversation and with the magic word that we already talked about. That magic word which started our conversation is connection. When you're connected with another human being, such magic happens at that very moment, at that very second when you can actually um, convince or assure somebody that you're in line with who they are. There is such an incredible resonance of healing that takes place at that very second that no plant medicine can even uh, mm. compare to that level of beauty. Mm, yeah. It's... It Definitely is a powerful thing. I don't know if you have, I don't know how much uh, plant medicine you've done before, but it's a pretty, it's a pretty powerful connector. Um, but uh, I do agree with you though. Like there's a, there is a, a healing, beauty, loving connection being and like expressing and expressing and basically co-creating together a conversation that you're both kind of taking turns, grabbing the steering wheel and going into a direction that you don't wholly know but you enjoy the ride. So who cares where you go kind of thing? Yeah. Um, what do yeah, you think I would, I would even say that you and I have touched on that in this hour that there's been a, uh, we've tapped on the magic a number of times here. We know that we know we're playing a high level game right here. We know we're, we're no look passing each other. We know that we're, <laughs> we know we're, we're creating a, a fair degree of entertainment, taking on some of life's biggest ballsy challenges right here. And we're doing so in a way that we, we know we're delivering some magic stuff here. And that's, there's something to that. There's something to that. That's really revitalizing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's rejuvenating for everybody around. And there's like that holistic healing that goes along with it where everyone feels good afterwards. Exactly. And it's wonderful. Um, if, if helping people find their true voice is, uh, and their authentic self and, and really, you know, connecting with them is, is the Holy grail. What is the, the dragon? What is the big thing at the end of the, um, you know, protecting the pot of gold or, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the win at the end that's, that's preventing you from this. So the biggest threat and the face of the planet isn't what you think. The biggest threat in the face of the planet, it's not a medical problem. It's not a virus. It's not racism. It's not climate change. It's not war. <clears throat> it's not, you know, uh, sex slavery. The biggest problem in the, all those things are as big as any problem has ever been in the world. Every one of them. Mm -hmm. And as a group, they're the largest problems we've ever seen. Uh, as you know, facing humanity on a global scale. But the biggest problem in the world is that we are no longer speaking our true voice.
You see, all of those problems have no place to go if we don't speak our true voice. We have a vehicle called humanity that's out of gas if it doesn't speak to each other openly. So what we have here is at least kickstarting into finding our true voice and expressing it effectively into the world around us. And, you know, the dragon is that we are actually giving up our true voice for whatever reason we're doing so and or having it taken from us in some places, you know, uh, even looking at Ukraine, Russia at this point. Um, and, you know, suppression is growing and censorship is growing and cancellation is growing and people are, you know, complacency is growing and people are no longer speaking their true voice, whether it's being taken away or they're giving it away. So the dragon is this idea that staying quiet and sort of waiting to see what happens, becoming leaves in the river rather than actually taking action consistent with who we know ourselves to be is the end of humanity as we know it. That's it. That's it's over. As soon as we stop talking, anything we think we wanted to say, if you know, the greatest, how did you put it? Uh, a song unsung, you know, the greatest, I think the greatest tragedy that the world could ever see is that um, is to live an entire life and die in quiet desperation with and die with a song unsung. You know, like what kind of life was that that you yeah. never got heard, you know, yeah. never. And so uh, given the urgency of the times, what I'm finding is there are plenty of people who are now raising their hand and stepping up like, oh, ho, ho, before I go, I got one more thing to say. And people are gaming for that. People are ready to find their true voice because of the urgency of the times. Mm -hmm. So that's the battle that's on. And that's the one that knocks me out, by the way. That's the one. When I think the other team is winning, I don't got, I get smothered, man. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's like when it's like too little, too late, or I don't give a shit anymore, or, you know, there's nothing more to say, or I can't believe that happened. That's the end of hope anywhere. Um, then I can be, I can be smothered temporarily too, but. Here I am somehow another moment finding my true voice and, and uh, I'm not smothered quite yet. Yeah. The bravery to get on the stage of life, speak your true voice. And, you know, the really is the apathy that we battle against and really that the is masquerading the fear of not being accepted either by ourselves or others. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Love it. Um, with all of that being said, um, is there anything else you'd like to let people know about before you tell them how to get a hold of you? Um, you know, not really. I think just now's the time I have a summit. I do have one more thing. I, yeah. I, I guess it, it, I have this summit coming up in, on March 26th and I guess this is going to air before then. So your people would mm -hmm. be super cool. The summit is, uh, intended to raise a million dollars for Ukraine. I have 12 major influencers that major influencers and many people have heard of them who are eager to speak to me in 20 minute, uh, 20 to 30 minute conversations throughout the day on May, March 26th, podcast like conversations, looking at how they found their true voice, looking at how they became in touch with their authentic self, um, what form of uh, what form they use for their own self-expression, how they build a community that's aligned with who they are, and then using the technology to deliver effectively and efficiently, efficiently their message into the world, like whether it be music or podcasting. I have a bunch of musicians that are here, Freddie Ravel, Tony Moss. You might know Tony. Um, and also I'm looking at... Um, so, so that's a, so that's an event called the, the, uh, the, we, the people summit and the, the landing page will be ready tomorrow. So it isn't place anywhere to go right this very second, but by mm -hmm. the time, you know, this week, 
by the time this is loaded, there'll be a, a, a definite landing page for we the we the people summit and it's a pay as you can event meaning you you come to the summit if you only have a dollar and some of us only do have a dollar these days and a dollar is going to be a fine donation to get you to uh, it's going to you um to a legitimate charity that's helping out the war-torn ukrainians and other places where voice and freedom of speech is being suppressed and the goal is like i said a million dollars by march 26 and i think we're we're well on our way to make that happen so that's something i'm extremely excited about and getting that done before march 26 seems like a little bit of an opus a little bit of a uh a little bit of a wow look at this pizza guy from detroit pouring it back you know kind of thing like it's it, pretty cool pretty cool that we can get that done that's incredible so we the people we the yeah. people summit dot com yeah, that, that, when yes, it comes probably. out, I don't know, but I'm, I, I don't org. have the URL. Something okay, like that. Okay, something like that. Okay. Well, yeah. then, have this. If people want to find out uh, more about you, and possibly mm -hmm. on that, it'll probably be on that website or somewhere as well. How do yeah. they find out more about you? Yeah, the best way to find out about me is uh, is well, I you know I have this recent book, and listeners or uh, people who are truly interested in possibly having a conversation with me and seeing whether we want to work together in group or individually. Uh, they should they should get a free copy of my book. Uh, my book is fun. I just read it. I like it. I, I you know a couple of times I read it. I'm like, I could have said that. I'm like, oh wait, I did. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I was like that shit's cool. Who, <laughs> I I would have said that. That's like oh, that's, like who is this guy? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> T testimonial brought to you by Dr. Fred Moss. Exactly, <laughs> one of the best books I ever read. And, and so it's called. It's it's really just a fun book called Find Your True Voice. And the the uh, your your uh, listeners can get a copy of that book, findyourtruevoicebook.com. Mm -hmm. and I'll send them a copy, a signed copy, if they will. And um, then you know if they like what they like what they read or they want to talk to me more about about coaching transformational coaching restorative coaching finding their true voice being part of the mastermind that's something that we can arrange and there's all sorts of all sorts of possibilities there that are arising and then if you really just want to write me uh dr fred at welcome to humanity.com and that's uh, dr fred at welcome to humanity i'm sorry i'm sorry it's dr fred at welcome to humanity.net um and because the guy who owns welcome to humanity.com it's like he still wants like seven thousand eight hundred dollars or something for the website, and he's not even using it. It's like, dude. Anyway, yeah, yeah. He's squatting. Yeah, yeah, you know, maybe someday he'll actually get me to pay him a little bit. But I don't need dot com because .net rocks. That's what I. Think. <laughs> <laughs> I had a few dot nets in my day to get the job done. <laughs> so, so Dr. Fred at welcome to humanity.net. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and then, you know, I, I, I've just had someone tell me you shouldn't really say this on podcasts, but you can, you can ding me on Facebook or ding me on LinkedIn. I, I, I play a little bit in both those places. I like LinkedIn a little more than Facebook, but the truth is the best way to get a hold of me is what the ways I just said. Um, you know, uh, the book is going to give you instant access to who I really am more than what I said here. And it's not, not very different than most of what we've already talked about. And I've written another book too, which your customers or your listeners can do. And I, we, we should give them that one too. Uh, just feeling, feeling, uh, uh, you know, feeling it to offer that it's called what it's at welcome to humanity.net forward slash creative creative. And that's the book called the creative eight um, healing through creativity and self-expression. And that's something I designed about five or six years ago. It's a pretty fun book. Um, uh, so you can have an audio book or the Kindle or the Kindle book by going to welcomedumanity.net forward slash creative or forward slash creative eight. One of them is the audio book and the other one is the, is the PDF. So beautiful.
Beautiful. Yep. Dr. Fred, thank you so much for your time. It's been a, an honor and a pleasure. I really enjoyed chatting and connecting with you. Likewise. Um, thank you so much for your time, and I'll, I'll see you on the other side. All right, Alan. Uh, Dylan, thank you so much. Appreciate it. See you, brother. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.